Space-time continuum. It's me, the young Grognard. Grognard the young. Did you miss me? Maybe not. Who knows? But anyway, I'm here with a new episode of the podcast, and it turns out we're nearing the very end of season two for this podcast, and so we only have, I think, two episodes left. I know I gave sort of a false ending in the uh, last episode where I said there was really only one episode left. I was looking back at the questions, and like a total genius, I ended up forgetting about um, a couple of questions we left off in the very beginning. So the last episode we're going to do after this one is going to be, hopefully, with a few people from the uh, episodes of the season two, and we're going to discuss a couple of real tie-in questions, such as the elevator pitch for the world, the name for the world, and what characters we'd want to play in this world. Um, really cool stuff. But today's episode, no less cool than that, involves a couple of questions. So, um, and a bit of good news for you guys, I guess. I'll, I'll tell you that at the end of the podcast. But as of right now, question number one that we have is, what is a legendary relic in your world? Now, relics are really cool. I think relics are neat in that they're sort of like magic items, but they just have so much like unbridled power to them. And they usually have so much more history to them and so much, I would say like potential to them where where relics are capable of sort of changing a campaign setting on their own. So having a, a legendary relic of power in the world sort of implies that there's an item of some regard that can shape the world or already has historically. So when we're talking about this campaign setting and we're looking at what a legendary relic of power could be in the world, it makes sense to look at the most important things that have happened and try to see if we can somehow squeeze that relic into that spot. So an important, a legendary relic of power could be Perhaps that's how the dragons first got in in the first place, and it wasn't a matter of implanting a spell or something like that, and maybe that guy just stumbled upon a certain magical item, or maybe that magical item got sent through the void. Maybe the item itself has a level of sentience and, like, sought out this realm, you know? Um, but perhaps you could also have some sort of magical item. And so maybe when we look at that big evil villain, uh, uh, our friend Ryan L. Litchie, um, he, maybe he had some sort of a mace, and that mace had five individual faces on the, uh, on the head of the mace, like the club there. Um, and maybe each and every one of them has sort of a connection to whichever one of the five evil gods are currently in power. And being able to call upon that evil god to do something terrible is part of the construction of that mace itself. And so what's cool about relics is that they usually have with them certain drawbacks as well as, you know, powers and bonuses. So it makes sense that having it be an evil one sort of carries through. So having an evil mace of great power that can call upon the five prime evil gods 
there's a lot of special abilities. You know, each one of those heads probably does something really nasty and really gnarly. But what's even cooler than that, if you ask me, is sort of the flavor that comes along with the drawbacks of a, of a relic. So a lot of times in, in books that talk about relics, they suggest more of a random approach to it. But if you're a DM or a game master of some sort and you're building this world from scratch and you're building these magic items, it's sort of a really cool thing to, to try to take those penalties and feed them into storyline. So if one of the drawbacks of using that relic with the five heads, uh, with the five faces on it, would be something like, perhaps the wielder of the weapon is rendered mad, and they have no capacity to sort of um, keep a thought to themselves. Maybe the five gods have some sort of like power play, and they're trying to to control the person who's using it and so the person who wields this weapon is constantly having conversations with themselves using different voices maybe this thing possesses the wielder in some regard so there's six people inside of one person at one time and you have each one of the evil gods sort of making their presence known in that one person and they take turns and it's sort of this real spooky kind of ghostly possession thing going on there um other drawbacks could be things like, if not madness, maybe something to do with, I don't know, maybe the person's skin begins to slowly to peel off or something creepy and ugly like that. Or you could even do, because I, I, and I honestly, I think a lot of times minor drawbacks can be more cool than major drawbacks, because a major drawback almost feels like it's kind of a one and done. Like if your skin peels off, it's like we get the general concept like, you know, people aren't going to like you. You're not going to really be welcomed into towns. People are going to think you're undead, yada, yada, yada. But if you do like minor ones, like the person can no longer stand the smell of the living, like that's not super important. But it's enough flavor there that like you can role play that up and it it sort of makes for an interesting role-playing encounter when the party meets the big bad evil guy and he wields this relic of tremendous power and when they enter he he i don't know recoils and and covers his face and he says the stench of the living is too strong and the fact that that comes from the relic is neat maybe having the relic turns your eyes yellow and makes you you know what i mean like these little cosmetic changes can be really interesting it's kind of like with the ring with smeagol and the idea that after living so long with the ring which i know is not the drawback of the ring itself but it's that obsession that kept him alive with the ring that sort of got him to this point where he cosmetically looks so different than he used to that it almost acts as its own drawback for wielding the ring itself um and obviously there's also the the positives that come along with the items which i guess i don't know you can get things like dark vision or tremor sense or telepathy out to a certain distance while wielding this weapon maybe you have the ability to have the traits of the undead and have the traits of the living so you know you can get cool things like that but something i think is almost more fruitful when discussing relics is to look at how good relics function or more neutral relics function so if you think about something like i don't know a paladin's sword being a relic and maybe it's like the holiest most mighty sword and within it is the soul of every paladin of a certain order or something funky high fantasy like that what would make for a great drawback to a weapon like that what would make a great drawback to a relic of power like that well 
you know, usually we rely on our cliches and we think like, oh, obsession is a great one where wielding the blade, you cannot sleep if there is some sort of evil within a certain mile radius of you and you can detect that evil. And you, like that makes for a great drawback because having such a great powerful weapon is awesome, but the fact that it's so great and powerful, it almost kind of commands you. Like you are not the wielder of the relic. The relic almost wields its host in certain occasions and so it's interesting to kind of flop these things onto their head and try to see how you can make relics a little bit more textural or, or um, interesting in some way um, but relics obviously don't always have to be weapons and you can have things like rings of power and I I can't remember the name of the exact ring the relic there but I know at one point in time Dragon Magazine promoted this and I think one of the Dungeons and Dragons podcasts the official ones um, promoted this item, but it was a ring of winter, I think, but it's like a ring that no matter where the person was that had the ring, winter followed them in a certain mile radius, and so you could be in the middle of some sort of arid desert and have just a giant, you know, five mile radius of winter tundra out there and just whipping snowy winds, and that to me strikes as something like a wicked cool relic because it's not directly related to some sort of action and it's environmental like what if you had a, a relic um it was a necklace of peace and it was this relic that like you could never exert ill will onto anyone and a drawback another drawback would be that you could no longer i don't know be mad and you had to constantly empathize with enemies but what if the effect is is that anybody who comes within a mile of you is forced to take some sort of a check to i don't know remain peaceful or or aggressive or what have you and the idea being that while you have this necklace on all people around you sort of come to a state of lethargic peace and nobody wants to fight so walking out into some forest or something like that local orc tribes just sort of drop their weapons and come out and try to seek their host and they present gifts and they're peaceful like that could make for one heck of a cool encounter especially if the ring itself or the the relic rather or the the medallion in this case maybe it when wielded i don't know almost renders a host who's uh, not of a caliber great enough to bring peace. What if, okay, follow me on this. What if this medallion of peace sort of selects its host based on the person who's the most peaceful and the most likely to not engage in combat? But if you have some bloodthirsty barbarian or fighter or something like that who picks it up and puts it on, what if it sort of renders them incapable of fighting and just puts them into a state of like, catatonic paralysis and they just fall down drop their weapons and just go into peaceful slumber for i don't know maybe forever what if it's some kind of terrible curse like that and so anybody who ever tries to pick up the medallion is just too dangerous and the only person who can wield it is somebody who's never lifted a finger to anybody ever you know one that's really i don't know makes it kind of impossible for the party to use it but i don't know I think a relic should be kind of like that. It's not a magic item. It's it's a it's a force in the campaign setting. It's it's not to be just tamed, you know? It's like getting upset that you can't tame dire bears or something like that or getting upset that you can't tame dragons and make them your mounts. It's just not the case. It's just not how those things work. They're just too awesomely powerful for that to be the thing, you know? So in the same sense, I think that I could make for a really interesting adventure because 
you know, much like a party, a group of level ones trying to fight a hill giant, it's not likely you're going to be able to take this head on. You got to get creative. So in the same regard, having this medallion of peace that nobody can touch without ending up, you know, catatonic and stuck forever, you have to get clever about how you handle taking care of this item. And even then, whose hands do you put it into, you know? But anyway, on to the next question, the last question. Um, are the lands cartographed? Which, at first I almost said cartographied, but I feel like that's not the correct term there, but... Um, and where are the boundaries? Um, so anybody who doesn't know what cartography is, is it's simply just map making and the concept of recording, you know, topography or geography, yada, yada, yada. Um, so this is an interesting question, but are the lands cartographed or cartographed? I would say yes, obviously. I think that there should be certain places that are much more of just a footnote, like some, I don't know, wilderness in the north that nobody's really tread upon. There will be maps that have it recorded. It's not like some brutally new land, but those maps might not be all too accurate now. Because if we think about this campaign setting as being one that has, you know, lots of kingdoms rise and lots of kingdoms fall and there's sort of like a shifting of power between different nations all the time certain towns may spring up in the series of a couple decades but if you're using maps of a land that haven't been tread upon in a long time and the map itself is about 20 30 years old certain settlements might not be there anymore or certain settlements might be there now where nobody on the map ever said they would be so the lands will likely be cartographed, but settlements are probably going to be a little bit harder to nail down. But there will be general, you know, notes of like where certain boundaries are um, for different kingdoms or empires or alliances. But because those also shift, sometimes those maps might not be very good uh, for that as well. Um, I always like the concept of, and this hails back to keep on the borderlands, but I always like the idea of there being like the brutal north where you have like this one outcropping of civilization sitting on the front door to the wilderness, the wilds and the unknown. And I like the idea that these maps would label these places and would have these places, you know, uh, within their boundaries, but they wouldn't have much detail. So going out there and exploring and finding caves and finding little hidden forts and finding tribes of, of monsters or whatever that stuff would never be written on a map unless it was well trod area but where's the adventure there where's the fun there right but i think that that sort of thing is where adventure hails from is having the party get some sort of a quest where they have to go to the far north and go speak with some i don't know some sage in some hidden monastery but the party is so far on the western shore that getting out there means they'll have to buy a couple of maps of the of the region and have to make their way out there an adventure lies in what the maps don't show you um but before i go before i give the final sign off i do want to explain myself on what the little note was in the beginning of the show and so a bit of news we are going to try and do a live play podcast we're going to try to run a little bit of an old school essentials game i know a lot of people out there love their fifth edition but i promise you it's going to be riddled with all the same DD goodness that you guys know and love um we're probably going to be also starting maybe maybe a youtube channel where we can show some of this stuff in live play in video format which uh a lot of people love to be able to see the people they listen to so if that's the kind of thing you'd be interested in 
Stick around and wait for updates on this topic, and I'm sure you will not be dissatisfied with what we have for you. But in any case, DMs, be good to your players, and players, be good to your DMs. Hey everybody, it's the Young Grognard here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dangerous. Thanks.